be with you again today. Caleb is making some adjustments down the back there. Thanks, Caleb. I think all the mothers and fathers had a sigh of relief as they um, sent their kids off. How are we going down there, mate? Grand our kids in the gospel and uh, see them be growing up as strong disciples of Christ is what we want to see them doing and uh, we do that through a great program we run at the kids area to uh, teach them about Christ. I think we're good are we? No more squealing? I can see smiles out there, good, good, good. Okay so we're um, we're back to our series uh, from 2nd Corinthians, Uh, we've been done about two or three there. We sort of had a couple of breaks. Well, last week we went to the park, so we did a more of a targeted talk for um, uh, about culture, about the gospel, about how Jesus um, met the rich young ruler. But we're going to jump back into uh, 2 Corinthians today. Now, Alec, can you stand up, please, mate? A couple of things to show you here, guys. A couple of Alec's favourite treasured possessions. All right. A couple of basketball singlets. Now, Two basketball singlets there, look closely. One's a fake and one's a genuine. One's a fake and one's a genuine. They look really close, don't they? Now, there's probably a couple of young fellows not here at the moment, they would be very discerning of, okay, I know exactly what, which one the fake is, but how do you discern the true from the false? You can sit down, thanks, mate. Good job. He was a good model, wasn't he? <laughs> how, do, how do you discern the true from the false? How could you see the true singlet from the false singlet, as it were, from what's genuine and what's a fake. You would need to see the true with clarity, with a real clearness to understand what is the true and what is the false. If you have a real clarity of what the true is, then you can discern what the false would look like. Well, Paul's going to begin today, as we make this turn here in 2 Corinthians, to begin to expose, as it were, false teachers who are giving a bit of trouble and grief in the church at Corinth. He's going to begin to uh, look at today as exposing their false message and the false people they were and the grief they were bringing into uh, Corinth. So if you've got your Bibles, go to um, 2 Corinthians, of course, and we're going to get into chapter 2. And we're just going to read a few verses from chapter, verse 12 uh, through to verse 17, just to close out the chapter. Okay, chapter 2, verse 12, and it says there, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. 
Lord, we just uh, give you thanks and praise that we can come this morning and uh, let your word uh, speak into our hearts. And we ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would do just that. You would breathe life into this word. And God, you would reveal the gospel into our hearts, reveal uh, the glorious truth of the gospel. And through that, Lord, as we just begin to explore today the true and the false, help us to be people who are committed to gospel clarity, gospel clearness. So, God, that we can discern what is the true and what is the false. God, we ask for your help now through your Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is another sort of tricky section here in 2 Corinthians. It can easily be misread if we don't really get the background for what's happening here uh, for what Paul's doing. Paul's having to contend with some guys who have moved into this church in Corinth and they're trying to, as it were, take over the church for their own personal gain. Uh, These people are probably fluent speakers and gifted communicators. They know exactly what to say, how to say it and when to say it. Really great gifted speakers and communicators. These guys have moved in and they're influencing many of the people with their speaking gifts, the way they can just smoothly talk. They're running down Paul as weak and as untrustworthy and the message that Paul is bringing, they're saying, really has no real and present power. That's what they're starting to say about Paul. They, these what they call super apostles, are claiming an easier message that will bring probably instant results. They're pointing to Paul and saying, look at how hard he's doing life. It's not meant to be that hard. God is here to protect us from all suffering and trial and challenge in life. See, Paul hasn't got it right. He's sort of the vein where these guys are coming from. So really what these super apostles or these false teachers uh, aren't concerned about is the eternal welfare of the Corinthian people. Not at all. Really what they're after is their wealth, is their finances from them that they can gain to build up their own bank accounts. Is probably the underlying motive here for these false teachers in uh, Corinth. Paul's labouring here though over the Corinthians with great concern as he sees what's happening and hears these reports coming to him. Like any true pastor, he's concerned about the people and where they're going. And as far as he can see at this point, it looks like the people of Corinth, the church that Paul established there, is straying off the path of the gospel and just moving, as it were, left field. Just begin to move away from the truth of the gospel. And they're, they're listening to this message here of these uh, false teachers, or as Paul calls them, these super apostles, as they were inflating their own egos and opinions. And their message was nothing other than really smoke and mirrors. It was just a false illusion they were bringing to the church at Corinth at this particular time. It didn't contain any real true gospel that would lead to forgiveness of sin and eternal life. They were straying off the path where Paul had planted them on. So this is the contention that Paul is dealing with here in the church at Corinth at this particular time. So with Paul today, as we think about that, with that sort of context in the background, we're going to be committed to speaking a pure gospel, a clear gospel. We're also going to be doing this as a people who are gladly conquered by Christ. Christ has conquered us. And also we're going to do this as we think about it as well, knowing the results sometimes will be life for some and death for others. That just is what the message of the gospel clarifies. Okay, first let's think about here being captured by Christ. Paul would help us to see today that the message of the true gospel has captured us and conquered us in Christ. That we are now his servants, gladly and willingly labouring for him and serving him in great joy. Look at this in verse 14 with me. It says there, But thanks be to God, who in Christ 
always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now on first reading of that, seeing it through today, 2019 perspective, we probably get a picture here of this word triumphal procession, we probably get a picture here of a grand final parade that we are in the Toyota cars going up and down the streets of Melbourne and the whole crowd celebrating us in this triumphal procession as we read that. That's the picture we would get as we read that. We think, okay, that must be something like we're in some sort of triumphal procession or Paul's talking about that. Now, that's not what the Corinthians saw when they read Paul's letter like that. They didn't see it like that. They saw something very different. When they see this word triumphal procession, They see this through the Roman Empire of that day and what they were doing is a triumphal procession, which is very different to a grand final parade. The triumphal procession of that day that they would have seen this through as Paul wrote this was Roman generals standing in their very regal, shiny chariots going through the city with a procession trailing behind these Roman generals and what that procession was was all their captive prisoners from their latest conquest over some foreign land or country somewhere. This triumphal procession was the Roman army going through the streets with all these captives, all these prisoners behind them, all chained up together. Often it would be the meanest, strongest-looking prisoners chained up together, just saying, and really was a demonstration of the power of the Roman army. This triumphal procession was these captive prisoners being led through the streets as a demonstration here of this Roman might. And often at the end of this triumphal procession, not all, but usually some, were executed in public as the final display of the power of the Roman Empire. This is the triumphal procession here that Paul's beginning to uh, picture for these Corinthians. But as Paul makes this picture, he's trying to do something here to expose these false teachers by saying this or explaining this. Paul is really saying this. He's saying we are led captive or conquered by Christ ourselves. In this triumphal procession, Jesus has triumphed over us. The love of Christ has come and overcome and conquered our hardened and sinful hearts and rescued us. We who were living in these broken, uh, sinful living desires, living for self and all this world that it had to offer, and if we really be honest, in that state, we gave God no true respect or honour that he truly deserved, But Jesus has come and conquered our hearts by his grace. So we are now following behind him. Not so much as prisoners being led to death, but in a sense, we are dying. And again, not so much a physical death, although we all will die physically. There's a real sense of as being conquered and captured by Christ in a great way. We're also going to a death in a spiritual sense. And the spiritual sense of that death is we're putting to death the sinful desires that live within us, the broken desires that are within us that lead us to corruption and brokenness. So Paul's trying to paint this picture here of this triumphal procession. We are captured by Christ, conquered by him, and we are putting to death also the sinful desires or the brokenness within our lives. Uh, He actually picks this up in uh, Luke chapter 9. Uh, where Jesus tells his disciples the same thing. And he said to all of this, Jesus speaking to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The disciples got a very real picture of what that walk looked like. 
take up your cross, it's a form of dying. Dying to ourselves or putting to death uh, the sinful desires that are within us. So this is the triumphal procession that Paul is picturing here for the Corinthians, trying to set this up as he begins to expose here these false teachers. Because the alternative message by the super-apostles, or the so-called super-apostles, wasn't what Paul was talking about here. They were more thinking like the grand final parade in their way of speaking to the Corinthians. This triumphalism from them was just going from one victory to the next victory to the next victory. You did not know defeat in this life if you just followed their message, if you just followed their way of doing things. With Jesus in your chariot, there was no race you would ever lose in the sense of these false super apostles. Because they just said, no, you won't experience anything hard in life. You'll just go from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. That's the triumphalism they were talking about. Paul says, no, we are captive to Christ. We are captive to him. And this triumph does belong to Christ. And we take up our cross and we follow him wherever he leads, no matter what the cost may be. Now, Paul says this because he's going to lead into the convictions now about the message of Christ that ties into this. So think about this now as we think about the clarity of Christ here uh, with Paul. Paul's convictions in Jesus led him at this, at, with this conversion sense of how real Jesus was to be rock solid on the message of the gospel. There was going to be no sort of murkiness or muddiness here about the clearness of the gospel in Paul's mind. It's like saying for Paul, I've truly met Jesus and he did on the Damascus road. So I truly want to represent him in absolute truth back to the world. I don't want to water down the message or change the gospel message about Jesus. I want to represent him in the truth just how I met him. In verse 14, we saw there that we're spreading the knowledge of Jesus wherever we go. And then in the next two verses, as we think about this clarity of the gospel, we see the response of spreading this knowledge of Christ wherever we are. So verses 15 and 16, Joe will bring that up for us. We, says, we see there, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Paul says then, who is sufficient for these things? What are we seeing there? We're seeing the responses to the gospel and what the message of the gospel does. If we reject Jesus, if we reject the truth of the gospel when it's presented to us, then what we are doing is just confirming our own spiritual deadness, death unto death. The very message that can bring eternal life becomes the same message that confirms our spiritual deadness in a hard heart. Somebody may hear the good news of Christ, it's presented really clearly, but they're unmoved by it. It doesn't even strike a chord with them. It's just ho-hum. It's not good news at all. In fact, for some people... It's no news at all. They just want to move on to the next channel. They don't even want to stop and think about the gospel. Why is that? Their hearts are hardened. They reject it. And sadly, when they reject it, they're just confirming their spiritual death. Paul says it's death unto death. That's one response. While others who hear the gospel, it comes to them as a sweet song. It comes to them as a melody in their ears. They hear the good news of Jesus Christ and it's, that's exactly what it is. It is good news to them. They feel at this point that this good news breathes life into their weary souls. 
they've heard something that really has opened up their eyes. It's opened up their mind. Where they've been crushed by the weight of sin and guilt and shame and the burdens of this world and feeling like they're washed up and washed out. They've heard the gospel and now they feel released. They feel free and they are filled with hope. There's a God who does love me. This gospel comes to them with clarity and with power. Why is that? Their hearts are soft. Their hearts are humble. They're ready to receive. And when they do hear the gospel, it breathes new life into them. And as they continue to hear the gospel, it serves to keep growing that new life in them as well. What is it? It's life unto life, Paul says. Not only brings life, but it keeps growing life. These are the responses to the gospel here when it comes. Paul knows that these results are black and white when it comes to responding uh, to the gospel. And gospel clarity here for Paul is the issue. He wants it clear. For Paul also, as he thinks about this clarity of the gospel, he said this brings a dividing line be, uh, between him and the false teachers or the super apostles that were trying to move in on Corinth. Just maybe, just maybe, these false teachers are seeing the results of Paul's preaching and Paul's work in Corinth, and they're thinking to themselves, this church is just growing really slow. It's not really going off the charts here. It's just sort of millimetre by millimetre here at Corinth. It seems like really, really slow work here. Maybe just these false teachers think to themselves, if we just change the message a little, if we just softened it up and made it just a little bit easier for people to believe, maybe if we just added a few extra benefits for following Jesus, that might make it look a little bit more attractive and we could actually get more people become followers of Jesus. We could grow this church faster. I think also in the back of the mind of those guys, as they were perhaps thinking like that, they've probably got the dollar signs spinning around in the back of their minds at the same time. Mm, I think we can make some more money out of this if we just change a few things. That's what's happening. Here's how Paul saw the preaching or the teaching of these so-called super apostles. Look in verse 17, he says this, For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, on the side of God we speak in Christ. Can you see that word there in the middle? Peddlers. Who knows what a peddler is? It's an old word, a peddler, not a push bike rider who's on the pedals going hard. A different sort of peddler. Roger, is that all right, mate? <laughs> Roger's a bit of a bike rider. A peddler. A peddler is like a trader or a dealer. Now, we happened to be in Bali a few years ago, and there's quite a few peddlers and traders and dealers over there. They have these little pop up stalls and pop up shops in those places. And oftentimes you'll see them trading in fake copies of Nike and Adidas and Puma and all these other branded products. They're peddling, they're, they're hawking, they're swindling. And often these sort of people, they're just there for a quick buck. They just move on and then you never see them again. They set up and sometimes you would. You'd be walking down those streets in Bali and some guy would be just set up there selling these stuff. You wouldn't see him again the next day. He just sold all this fake stuff to you. They're swindlers. They're not really concerned about you, the buyer, whether you're getting the real deal or not. They just, they'll tell you anything you want to hear as long as they can make a sale out of all this. Well, this is how Paul is describing these false teachers here and their false message. He says they're peddlers. The gospel to them has become a commodity, something to trade in, something to make a living out of, 
something to build up their bank accounts with. And Paul mentions again, actually in chapter 4, a couple of chapters later, he says this in chapter 4, verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Paul's talking really in the same context about these same people. The same thing. They're peddling in God's word and they're using a cunning and they're tampering with his uh, truth. What are these guys doing? Super apostles, false teachers. They're building a ministry or following all based around them. It's about them. They're building their kingdom and not Jesus' kingdom. They're developing their own personality and charisma to attract people to themselves and not to Jesus. It's actually all about them. And there's a thought here that these guys were charging expensive fees for their preaching in Corinth. It was a bit of a known thing back in the, in the, the uh, Corinth of the day. You would actually pay big money for these gifted communicators, these orators to come in. So these guys were uh, well-gifted speakers. And they were charging massive fees to come in, as it were, just to peddle God's word. They were building their own bank accounts. And how are they doing this? They're using God's word to build their own business enterprise. They're tampering with God's word. They're changing it. They're using deceitful ways to lure people into their own empire. They're raising money to fund their own imaginations and their own earthly pleasures and not for the glory and the expansion of God's kingdom. And quite probably, quite probably with these smooth messages, they were attracting large numbers of people to their slick services. I think they probably would have been. And from the outside, for the undiscerning who wasn't really looking for clarity or truth here, they're thinking, it must be working. This church is growing. Numbers are coming every week. It, it must be because it's doing something positive. It's growing for those who weren't discerning what was going on there. We need to be discerning about what preachers we listen to on the internet, TV, podcasts, wherever. Because we live in an age where it's so easy just to pick up your, t- your phone or your iPad or internet and you can click on I would say probably thousands and thousands of different preachers around the world. Everywhere. It just it's, it's, it probably takes you about 30 seconds with a quick Google search to find something. You've got to be so careful what we listen to. And the reason being is some of these guys are great speakers. They are really gifted communicators. They know exactly how to put it together. And what they do is they pull the Bible out of context you, you could just about make the Bible say anything you wanted to say. If you pull a number of passages from here and there and pull it all together, but all out of context, you can nearly make the Bible say whatever you want to say. You've got to be so careful who we listen to and what we begin to follow in this uh, day and age of today. Okay, this is all weighing upon Paul in a really, really heavy way. And uh, We read earlier there, uh, he, was, he left Troas because his spirit wasn't at rest. Now, obviously, he knew there was trouble down in Corinth. Things were happening there. And um, he's, who was the other, other mate wasn't there? Titus wasn't there either. But something was happening in Paul's life. He was keen to get back there. Because unlike these false teachers, he loved the Corinthians. He wanted to get back and help these guys. So Paul's concern here then is for truth to prevail, no matter how hard it may appear in receiving it. Look again in verse 17 with me. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, commissioned by God and the sight of God, we speak in Christ. 
See in the middle there what Paul says this time? They're not peddlers of God's word. He said, we are men of sincerity. We are men of purity. Paul's concern here is for a pure gospel, a true gospel, a clear gospel, a gospel with clarity that's not going to muddy the waters or murk the waters up, but something of clarity that will come through and lead these people to uh, eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. Let me just throw one little circuit breaker here in as I say that. Paul isn't talking about style of presentation here when he's talking about the clarity of the gospel. Style isn't the issue. Clarity is the issue. And what I mean by style is this. If the church has flashing lights and smoke bombs going off during the music, that's totally okay, providing the gospel content is clear and it's true. Smoke bombs and flashing lights are a style thing. They're not a gospel clarity issue. Now, they may become a problem if the, if the flashing lights give you a headache. That's probably a bit overdone. Or the smoke bomb gives you asthma. That could be different. But on face value, that's not the issue whether the church has flashing coloured lights or smoke bombs going off. That's a style thing, not a gospel clarity issue. And that's really okay to get that. Because sometimes we get sort of mixed up ourselves. It's more a style we don't like other than there's gospel clarity issues there. So the main thing is gospel um, clarity in the truth of what the gospel is. And that's exactly where Paul lands here with these Corinthians. And he says it again um, in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, sort of in the the latter half of that verse, he says there, uh, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, by the open statement of the truth. That's that's where Paul lands. It's with gospel clarity. It's with clearness of the gospel, the truth according to Jesus Christ, the truth that we have today according to the scriptures is exactly where Paul wants us to land. Now, why is this so important for Paul? Why is this so important for Paul that he's feeling this unrest in in Macedonia and he wants to come back and actually write this other letter to the Corinthians. Why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal for Paul as he thinks about this that he takes the time to write this letter again to try and get gospel clarity again back with these Corinthians? I reckon we see it in verse 16. It says there again in this, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. What are the two alternatives there for Paul? It's death and life, isn't it? It's life and death. Paul gets here the importance of gospel clarity. These are high stakes. Getting the gospel right is really, really important because you are talking about life and death. If we don't get the gospel right and just sort of of treat it blasé-like and don't give people the truth, what's going to happen? They'll probably believe the wrong thing. See, Paul understands the weight of the responsibility here in this when dealing with life and death. He says there, who is sufficient for these things? He understands the weight of responsibility in trying to get the gospel right. Gospel work isn't meant to be taken lightly because we're talking about life and death with people. We're not meant to treat the presentation of the gospel here just as a casual affair. 
we are meant to get it right as best we possibly can, to strive to get the gospel right, to understand it as best we can. For Paul, it wasn't just a walk in the park to go and do gospel work. He suffered much for telling the gospel. We'll see this a bit later on in this book as well. Uh, but he went through all sorts of challenges and dramas as he was trying to present the true and the clear and the pure gospel to the people around that Roman world at that time. Because Paul knew if he, didn't, if he didn't remain faithful and true to God's message of truth, they really could be offering people a false hope, a false sense of security. And they would be sadly mistaken on the day of judgment when they stand before God and they said, I was trusting in how much money I gave to these preachers. That was my trust or that was my hope. Paul was never going to do that. He wanted to give them a clear and pure gospel so they would find Christ, the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. For Paul, it was a matter of life and death. Why is it so important for us today at Exchange as we sit here, 2019, 2,000 years after Paul? Well, just like Paul, we've been taken captive by Christ if we truly believe in him. We are now Jesus' servants, commissioned to take Jesus' message into this world. Nothing has changed from Paul's day to now. The same people with the same needs back then are the same people today with the same needs as well. They need Christ, they need Jesus to be forgiven of their sins and live transformed lives. I, for one... I don't want to lead anybody astray when sharing Jesus with them. When I have the opportunity to share Christ, I want to speak it in truth. I want to speak it in love. I want to speak it in clarity as best I can in the opportunities that I'm given. So I see it as really, really important. Life and death are at stake. Now maybe for you, you're here at the exchange for the very first time today and you're intrigued by this Jesus. Maybe you've heard bits and pieces in the past Maybe you might have heard some off the TV screens, I don't know. Like, who is he really? You could be asking a question. Welcome. We're glad you're here. So glad you're here if you, if you wanted to come and find out about who Jesus is. This is the place that you need to be in. A place where we'll tell you who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That he's a glorious saviour. That he leads us into a living and loving relationship with him through what he's done at the cross. So if you're here for the first time, we'd love that you're here and we want to share with you exactly what Paul would share with us today. We want to tell you and anybody who is willing to listen what Paul told the Corinthians actually in the very first letter that he wrote to them. And it's there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a very familiar passage here, but Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast... To the word I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I have delivered to you as of, look at these next two words, first importance, gospel clarity, truth. Paul wants to get it right. For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is Paul's message of first importance. It's also Exchange's uh, message of first importance. Now it takes a whole lot of unpacking around that, but that is the, the message in a nutshell. And we pray here that this message for you at, at Exchange of the Gospel comes to you as a fragrance of life unto life as your eyes open up to see the beauty and the glory of what Christ has done to rescue and to save us. That our eyes are opened up to see 
His death on the cross has payment for our sins so that we can enter into life, but not just life, eternal life that he has so gladly given us. Because sometimes it's really tempting to leave out the awkward bits, the difficult bits or the hard bits about Jesus. Because sometimes the cross sounds so foolish. Who's going to believe something about a cross? Or sin seems so harsh. Who really wants to talk about in our lives? Or judgment, God's judgment seems so unloving. How could a loving God judge? It's really tempting to sort of either sidestep around those things or just not bring them up at all or soften it right down. And maybe if we are to talk about those things sometimes, it may cost us a friendship or two. If somebody really knew what I believed, they may not want to associate with me anymore. They're hard things that need to be said. Now it's possible to put unnecessary barriers in front of people if we just go hammering hard at sort of sin and judgment and hell and just excessively that, sure, we can actually push people in the wrong direction. We've got to have a balanced approach when we do that. It's a balanced thing. But we want to make sure there is an appropriate understanding of all those elements of the gospel. Because if they don't get a grasp of all those elements, if they don't really get about sin and about the cross and about the judgment then they really won't fully comprehend God's love and rescue to come and save us. Because it's only when you get the depth of sin and the depth of the cross and the depth of God's judgment that you begin to see the, the depth of God's grace that would come and rescue people who just don't deserve that. But you need to grasp some of those elements first. And when they do get that, it does serve to deepen their love for God and what he's done for them. Sharing the truth and gospel clarity also is the most loving thing we can do for anybody. It really, really is. Here's an example. If I was to sell my car to somebody and not tell them about the engine problems that I knew it had because I was worried they might walk away from the deal, if I don't tell them that and they buy the car and then two weeks later the engine fails and I knew about it, it's not a very loving thing I've done to that person, is it? I've actually deceived them in some ways. So the most loving thing we can do is actually tell people the truth exactly as it is. If we, hide, if we hold back on the truth, we're not actually showing them true love. So here at EC, we take the time to get the gospel clear. We love people. We love people so much that we want to tell them the whole truth and pray that God will unveil their eyes to see the glorious rescue that he has achieved for us. So we want to make the gospel clear and complete because our mission statement tells us that we are connecting people to Jesus and we are growing people in Jesus. Why? Because the gospel has come to us in clarity. It's come to us and revealed to us who we are and our desperate need of Christ and that he has come and saved us and rescued us. And we want to take people into that same relationship, a living and loving relationship with Jesus Christ and we do that through gospel clarity. Let's pray. Father, I uh, give you thanks and I give you praise as we come this morning and we think about uh, what Paul is up against in Corinth. We think about today, Lord, that Paul is struggling against false teachers uh, presenting a false message. Uh, today, Lord, we pray that you'll help us uh, to keep growing in our knowledge and understanding of what the gospel is.
It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the redemptive message that transforms every part of our lives. It doesn't just only save us, but it also transforms us right throughout our lives. I pray today, Lord, you'll help us to uh, submit ourselves to the teaching of your word and allow your spirit to bring that word to bear in our hearts and to give us the courage and the boldness and the love, Lord, to share the gospel in clarity. Because, Lord, we want to see people truly saved, truly connected to Christ, and truly growing in Jesus. So they will experience this living and loving relationship with him and with each other. And, Lord, we can look forward to that eternal hope uh, of that same living and loving relationship growing for all of eternity. So I pray, Holy Spirit, today, please anchor us deeply to grow in our knowledge of the gospel and to uh, share it with clarity, I pray. Now, Lord, today I ask and I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.